Welcome to Dentists, Puns, and Money, formerly known as the Practice Growth Podcast. Dentists, Puns, and Money is the same format with the same great guests as before, but with a better name and better music. My guest on today's show is Dr. Casey Getz. Dr. Casey is the founder and owner dentist at Quiver Creek Pediatric Dentistry, located in Troy, Missouri. Some of the topics we discuss, how Dr. Casey picked the location of his cold start pediatric practice, how he went about scheduling patients even before his cold start practice opened its doors, and how Dr. Casey thinks about balancing debt service versus reinvesting in his practice, plus much more. As a reminder, you can get all the information discussed in today's conversation by visiting our website, dentistexit.com, and clicking on the podcast tab. While there, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter, and you can also schedule a discovery call to learn a little bit more about how we help dentists prepare, whether you're an owner or not, for that eventual exit from active practice to financial independence. And with that introduction, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Casey Getz. All right, Dr. Casey Getz, thank you for being here. And before we dive into your story, I do want to make sure to plug your podcast, Brews and Tiny Teeth. I think you do a great job of blending your passions of craft beer and pediatric dentistry. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate the uh, the podcast shout out too. You know, it's when you run your own podcast, I know you know how it goes. Like there's a whole respect for podcasters that it, it seems so easy because it's just a couple people talking, but there's a lot of work and passion and behind the scenes stuff that goes into it. Um, so uh, as a fellow podcaster, I appreciate the shout out. Yeah. And I'm a craft beer fan as well, which I have not implemented into my show, but uh, I think it's cool <laughs> that, that you have as well. So uh, that's a little bit of a memorable piece with it. So very good. How about sometime we'll, we'll flip this around and I'll get you on mine and then you can formally crack like an IPA with me or something. We'll do it that way. Hey, I'm happy to do it. I wasn't fishing to be a guest, but no, uh, no, I, I love it. I'm more than happy to, re to return the favor sometimes. So thank you. Yeah, just let me know. Uh, before we get too, down, uh, too far down the road, just the place that I always like to start. So the audience has a little bit of context uh, on kind of your background. Just if you would share a little bit on how you've reached this current point of your dentistry career. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'm a Midwest guy from Iowa, uh, kind of where you're based out of as well. But I uh, I got into dentistry. I was pre-vet for years. And then I worked at an engine shop in college, like working all summer, 60 hours a week in this oily, greasy gas, you know, engine, small parts equipment shop. And a pediatric dentist came in one day and bought a mower from me and laid down a stack of cash and was big outdoorsman like I am. And we started talking and really hit it off. And he asked what I was going to school for. And I was like, I don't, I don't really know, maybe pre-veterinary medicine or become a doctor or something. He's like, oh, you should come shadow me. I'm a pediatric dentist. And went and shadowed his office, totally loved it. Absolutely loved the pace that he worked, loved the way he worked with kids, but then was really professional with the parents. Um, loved that he was a business owner. Knew within like 15 minutes, I'm like, this is exactly what I want to do. I'd be really good at this. So then um, went to uh, dental school and peds residency for an extra two years at the University of Iowa. Got done there. And uh, my wife had a year of residency for pharmacy to finish up up in Minneapolis. So we got up that way. I briefly associated for about eight or nine months. And then uh, COVID kind of hit. Everything kind of came to a, you know, a screeching halt there. And that was kind of my opportunity where I had wanted to do a startup for a while. But, you know, the just 
you kind of learn that to do a startup requires a lot of time and it requires kind of a emergency fund and a base of money and some experience. And I just didn't quite have all the ingredients right out of residency, but um, took the, took advantage of the downtime during COVID to write my business plan, get my lease space, do my demographic report, build the space, get the loan, uh, hire the team, buy the equipment, built out everything in, uh, in Northeast Missouri. So that's where my, my startup is located at. And briefly after COVID got my practice started up in October of 2020 and so we've been open a little over a year, like a year and three months now, and have been slammed from day one, uh, kind of a semi-rural growing area, but a big geographic, um, you know, area that we were, uh, that I cover there, super high needs, lots of carries, uh, high demand from, from day one, pretty much profitable right out the gate and made a lot of mistakes, but, uh, now we're just kind of rolling and love the practice owner life and just kind of, you know, have a good gig going here in Northeast Missouri now. So many follow-ups uh, that I've got coming out of that. Let's go back to the beginning. So you worked in a small <laughs> engine shop and a pediatric dentist came in and, and just randomly saw something in you that thought you might be interested in that. And can you, can you share a little bit more about where that was and kind of just what, what jumped out at you right away within, you said 15 minutes, you're like, oh, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life to right. starting from not really knowing as, as you kind of explained. Sure, sure. Well, he, he and I had a lot in common um, and he's still a, a mentor of mine to this day and a really good buddy. Shout out to Dr. Todd Hefner's great, great buddy of mine. He's, um, you know, has, has had his own practice, single doc, single office practice, and he's got about a 20 year head start on me, but we just had very similar personalities. Um, and we were just talking about hunting and about, you know, the summer job I had and all this, we just really clicked and hit it off. And, and when he invited me to shadow, I've always been kind of a people person and want to explore different things and take people up on stuff like that. So I went and checked it out. And like the very first kid that I watched him treat, the kid jumped up on the chair, 180 degrees backwards with the feet up on the headrest and his head down by the butt of the chair. And Todd just like swung around and did the exam and rolled with it. And um, I was like, that's pretty cool. It just between that and and just I, I liked how like the day just flies by because with kids, you know, you've got 15 minutes here, 15 minutes here. Everything's so quick and you're just moving so much that your day goes quick. It's very hands on you just know when you watch somebody work like this is really cool and I could see myself doing this and doing it well. And so, uh, and after that, I completely, the next day revamped all my, you know, uh, college credits and just off to the races from there. So I knew immediately once, once I was watching, I'm like, man, this fits my personality really, really well. Interesting. And then you said that you associated for a year out of PEDS residency. And then mm -hmm. this, was that kind of your plan going in or at what point did you know that you wanted to uh, own your own practice and maybe a step before that, when did you decide that you want to do a, a scratch start or a cold start and kind of how did that all fit together in terms of associating for a year to kind of figure it all out? Cause that's a lot of things to, to keep sure. track of that, that year that you're trying to build out the cold start or the scratch start while also still trying to work and, and live. Right. Um, well, I, I actually did kind of know that I wanted to start my own practice fairly early. I knew I wanted to do peds, obviously, right at the start of dental school. Um, I knew I wanted to do a scratch start right away, but I've had kind of different, a different vision that kind of evolved over time. I always thought, you know, I'm going to have a big building, my own physical practice location started up right out of residency. That was always the plan from day one um, was to build a physical building to practice out of. So like even my first couple years of dental school, right out the gate, I had a big binder. And every time we had a lunch and learn, uh, 
finance guy, a lender, an insurance person, an equipment rep would come and give us a lunch and learn or a lecture. I'd keep all their brochures, paperwork, business cards, which was really, really helpful. So I've always had this like three inch thick giant working binder of, of just different resources, you know, sketching out footprints, taking notes of, you know, things that are beneficial to have in a pediatric office. So I've always been a very organized person in that regard. And so that was the idea. Well, then once I was in residency, kind of start looking more into getting serious about the startup thing, you know, you realize if you want to build a physical building, you need to have like 10% down for like an SBA loan. They changed those rules. And, um, you know, I was just like, man, this is might not be the most practical thing to do just because when you're in school for six years and all the student loans, you don't have a lot of cash on hand to pull the trigger on a million plus dollar, you know, office build out. So, um, kind of weighed the, the pros and cons with my wife. She wanted to do another year of training. We did, we ended up doing that. And I figured I'd take advantage of the associate year to try the associate thing out, get my speed up, kind of save up some cash, take some extra time. And, and it honestly, it worked out pretty well. You know, I think I could have started up right out the gate and been pretty successful, but I learned a lot in those eight months, you know, watching, um, it was a great group of guys up in Minnesota, but I learned a lot from their office manager, from their insurance, uh, coordinator, um, different clinical ways to do things, things I liked, things I didn't like. I didn't like in the associate gig being, um, not being super busy and being in control of my schedule. They didn't really see Medicaid. So I'd, I'd show up and I just had a lot of downtime and the the checks were all really simple, not a high carries risk area. And it just was kind of frustrating because it's like, man, I know I can do so much more. I've got a really good skill set, and I feel like I'm not utilizing it. Like I want to be just rolling in kids, just, just a bump in busy practice. And I just wasn't quite having it there. Uh, but no regrets in that first year of associating and COVID ended up being a blessing in disguise um, to kind of just be the catalyst to be like, no, the startup is what I need to do and what I was kind of born to do here. And then it was, then I just was able to get really serious from that point in time. So for those that don't know, and, and I do, cause my wife is from the St. Louis area and you uh, said you had family originally from St. Louis, but Troy is sort of in the St. Louis area. I don't know if it's fair to call it a suburb or not, but why there? And what were some of the, the things that went into you sort of putting down or deciding to put down roots there in terms of where to build your practice from scratch? Yeah, you can call it a bedroom community, maybe. Uh, you know, it, it's fits the bill. I don't know what a Des Moines reference would be. Maybe not really in Ames because it's not a college town, but it's, you know, you've got the greater St. Louis area and then the suburbs. And then if you drive another 20 some minutes outside of there, you get into the kind of a rural county. Um, you know, the, the town I practice in only has maybe 12, 15,000 people, something like that, which isn't giant for a, for a pediatric office, but the county has 60,000 people in it because the housing's cheaper. A lot of people live out there and then commute into the suburbs to work because housing's so much cheaper. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a factor there. Uh, it was close to family, which was great. But when I was trying to look at the area I wanted to go in, I either wanted to be in somewhere in Iowa or somewhere in, you know, the eastern northeast side of Missouri. So I literally just took, it is not scientific at all. I took a big map and I started putting pins wherever I knew there were pediatric dentists at and uh, kind of looked at where the growth in Missouri was. And this, this area was kind of a no brainer, just popping out that, you know, there's no pediatric dentist in the whole Northeast corner of the state. I knew I, I wanted to be at least semi-rural. I don't need to be next to a Starbucks. Um, I like the country kind of pace of life. I like, um, my mentors like Dr. Hepner, rural practice, super busy, the only shop in town. And I just kind of always liked that practice model. And so that's kind of what I, uh, what I based my goals off of was trying to find a semi-rural growing area where I could see a lot of kids and be the only shop in town 
and that you know Troy fit the bill. Like you said, people that don't know, it's it's I'm kind of the only pediatric dentist between the northern suburbs of St. Louis all the way up to the Iowa border. And I kind of just draw from a really, really big area up there. And it's kind of helped the practice grow really quickly. Interesting. So uh, a year, year and a half into the scratch start as we record this, this is really broad, but what are, what are your big takeaways from where you started to kind of where you are now? Yeah, man, that's uh, I got to be careful. Cause I'll just keep on talking if you're, like, <laughs> that's an open-ended question, but um, summarized, I guess, uh, you know, like anything else, uh, it, there was some growing pains at first. It definitely requires, you know, a lot of cash to get going. My, my references, it feels like you're lighting money on fire the couple months up to doing the, the, the opening date and then right afterwards. But, uh, you know, just, I feel like as long as you show up and hustle and I just went full-time in the startup, I didn't associate, I, uh, the banks weren't happy about it, but, um, I just knew this was going to be successful and there wasn't really a backup plan. I just was going to figure out, you know, burn the ships, if you will, like we're going to figure this out or die trying. And so I just working five days a week, show up really hustling, um, really making good connections with my referring general dentist, like physically going in person, you know, taking days off, go to their offices, uh, meet them in person. I designed a lot of my own referral pads, designed my own website. I used that COVID downtime to develop a lot of systems, got a really great staff. We've had some insurance issues, you know, like any Medicaid, rural practice, a lot of out-of-network patients as well. You know, we got, had some insurance hiccups, but uh, uh, we kind of underestimated how much sedation and like surgery days we were going to need. So we're trying to get caught up there, but that's a huge part of my practice. But um, big numbers, lots of kids the first year, um, some growing pains, you know, not a lot that I would really do crazy different. I think, you know, um, I feel like if you're the type that wants to do a startup, if you're organized and you've got a good game plan, a good business plan, and you're just willing to be a people person and kind of run for mayor and, and not be afraid to, to become a, you know, involved in the community and stuff, you know, you're going to be successful. It's just a matter of, you know, needing to put in the time, I think. How did you measure how to scale that? Because it sounds like you had good patient flow right away. And that's always the tricky part with the startup is you weren't moonlighting at least, which a lot of dentists do, but you know, some cold starts start out doing their own hygiene and they have a lot of ops that aren't finished yet. And it, it sounds like you grew pretty fast, pretty quickly. Um, how did you start thinking about or kind of measure when to add some of those pieces that uh, that you would need to add if you're growing quickly with a, yeah. with a practice? Right. Well, when I when I built the practice out, the office space, I, I built out um, a lease in a in a medical building, but a, a really good location next to a grocery store and a daycare and an orthodontist. So good, good uh, spot there. But I I didn't overbuild, but I built for growth in mind. So I've got three thousand square feet and seven plum chairs, but I only outfitted three to start with. One of the best decisions I've made was I was really conservative with my cash, got a big emergency fund and just piled up a lot of cash as I first got going. I started taking money. I became profitable right away, but I, I didn't start taking personal money home for about five months after I opened, even though I could have. And instead I saved up a, about 50 some odd, 50, 60 grand extra and used that to build out another two or three chairs, like another quiet op for a new column of new patients and an extra recall chair. And then I hired another staff member and just got more equipment and just kind of doubled down and built the machine up. And that ended up being a really, really good decision. You know, I I've kind of learned it's, it's better to be when you, when you start thinking that you're going to need another staff member, it's 
means it's probably time you, you need that person. Um, cause this has happened three times now where it's like, man, I think I might be a little overstaffed, but especially between COVID people getting sick, extra add-ons throughout the day and emergencies, it's really nice having an extra set of hands. And I feel like as soon as I hire somebody, I find things for them to do and things to cover. So I've kind of used that to my advantage as well. But yeah, when I first opened, if you don't mind me going into like giving you some details about how I got a lot of patient flow, right, right off day sure. one. Um, I bought 800 bucks worth of black rifle coffee, which is like a really cool, like veteran owned coffee company, like a craft coffee company. And I, I bought a whole bunch of them and I took a sticker with my face on it and my business card and I stapled it to each thing of coffee, um, and took a referral pad and the coffee and a handwritten letter and took a set of that to each of my referral sources on this big spreadsheet, which there's probably 40 or 50 dental offices in an hour drive, hour and a half drive radius around me. Went to every single one about two months before I opened up, introduced myself, shook hands, all the pediatricians dropped off all this coffee so that every time they go and make a cup of coffee, they see my face there and just get that face name recognition. And then I had my, my Google voice VoIP phone set up so that all of a sudden, a couple of weeks later, I got my first phone call from a patient wondering if they were, if we were scheduling yet from a, a parent. And that was a really cool moment. So I started a spreadsheet, started taking down names, phone numbers, chief complaint, um, contact info, and, you know, just uh, between referral sources and all that, I already had like a hundred plus kids ready to go by the time I opened up a month or two later. And so we ran our, our opening schedule with that. I was seeing eight new patients a day in one column, two girls up front, one in back, and just kind of started scaling, opened up another chair, added another, you know, back end uh, set of hands. And so now we probably see about, you know, like I said, year and three months in, we've scaled it to where we're seeing about maybe like eight to 10 ops in a day, mostly out of one op column, one column basically of new patients, you know, anywhere 10 to eight to 16 new patients in a day, and then probably a dozen to 15 to 20 recalls. So probably average about 30, some 30 to 35 patients a day on a good day, um, down from eight when we first started. So a lot of growth in a pretty short period of time, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. Great marketing idea. Uh, and as someone who has had to become not an expert, but, uh, start learning more about marketing in my own, in my own space, uh, you know, something very memorable, very affordable to, to give to everyone that, uh, the coffee with your, with your picture on it, I'm sure was memorable. And yeah, to your point, everyone thought of you when they went and had their coffee. So that's, uh, kudos to you. Wow. Interesting. There's a, there's a lot of, a lot of meat on that bone. Let's shift gears. Uh, if we could to, to you starting your own podcast, it seems like you'd be busy enough, uh, growing and scaling your, your practice and getting that off the ground. But uh, you doubled down and started uh, your own podcast uh, centered around pediatric dentistry not long after your cold start. Just give us the background there, if you would. Yeah, well, uh, I've always, backing up, I've always liked podcasting, just being a self-learner and doing the startup thing. You know, I'm constantly looking for resources on how to do things better. Like, you know, whenever you're doing a startup, you're trying to learn from other people that have done it before. So constantly checking out Facebook groups, reading books, dental town stuff. Uh, but I listen to a lot of podcasts on startup topics. and how to start dental practices and the practice management side of things that we don't really get in dental school. And so I just have always been kind of a little bit disappointed in the, the pediatric specific content out there. Um, and that nobody's really talking about the things that we do a lot of with behavior management and GA and SDF and, you know, just pediatric specific topics. So, um, and I, I'm a talker and a people person. And I, I like, maybe I hear the sound of my 
like hearing the sound of my own voice too much or something, but I'm just like, let's, let's figure something out and try it. And so I kind of did some basic background on how to start up a podcast, very like plain Jane software and just kind of been figuring it out as I go. But, uh, um, as you said, I like craft beer and I like talking to pediatric dentists. So now this has been my little side hustle. I don't make any money or anything from it. It's more mostly for my own mental well-being, just to be able to socialize, network, meet other pediatric dentists. Um, I've learned a lot from conversations. I try to do one a week. Um, I find an interesting pediatric dentist either on Facebook or that I know or a practice owner in another state. And I just have them on and we talk about cool pediatric topics. We talk about practice management stuff, finances, um, medicine topics, just kind of a whole range of cool student loan debt. I just did a three-part series on pediatric dentists with gobs of student loan debt. That was pretty cool. But, um, but it's just been, it's been cool. I've learned a lot of new techniques. I've learned a lot of, uh, you know, different ways to do things. And, um, it's been an awesome way to stay connected in the world of pediatric dentistry as a sole practitioner in a rural area where I wouldn't get to socialize a lot with other dentists otherwise. So it's been nice just from a, a networking standpoint as well. So for people that haven't heard the podcast or are interested in learning more about it, how do you balance? And I've listened to several episodes and it seems like you're, you're hitting on the business of dentistry or pediatric dentistry, mm -hmm. uh, some personal finance stuff as well, that would be applicable to, to almost any dentist that's out there. And then also the clinical side of pediatric dentistry. How do you balance uh, sort of those things? And is, I guess, is there anything that I've missed that you try to uh, make sure that you weave in, in terms of a, of a high level topic that you think is important to talk about? No, um, I, I try to just do it like a nice, healthy blend of kind of those three things. I will say though, um, uh, my, um, you're going to hear my dog barking. My wife just got <laughs> home from work jazz. Uh, but, um, no, uh, the episodes that do the best are almost hands down the practice management and the finance pot, uh, podcast. Um, you know, for whatever reason, if I do a podcast on, hygiene or like SDF or whatever the case might be still popular. But if I post something on a pediatric dentist with the million dollars in student loan debt or um, finance topics, or what's the stock market, you know, things that just anything to do with money or finance that perks people up and gets them fired up. Uh, so that's, and it, it's rightfully so, you know, pediatric dentists tend to be the type that can do well with startups and they tend to have a lot of student loan debt and nobody ever talks about that stuff because it's a taboo topic. So that content seems to be what really draws in um, pediatric dentists just as, you know, practice owners and that sort of thing. So that's definitely where the, the, the hot button topics are at for sure. What's the response been? I mean, I know you're, you're fairly early into it, but uh, it's, you've made it past I don't know how many episodes, at least 40, 50, maybe episodes yeah, that you yeah, posted? About, uh, oh, close to 40. Yep. I do one a week. Um, it's, it's a slow growing thing. Cause as you know, it's hard to grow a podcast. Um, you know, it's, it's not like getting YouTube downloads, you know, it takes a lot for somebody to commit an hour of their time once a week to listen to an episode. But, uh, I think I've, I, I have anywhere from four to five to sometimes 600, um, active listeners at any given point in time. And it's kind oh, of wow. slowly, slowly growing. Um, but you know, they're almost all pediatric dentists and a few general GPs that see kids a lot. And I always am getting people that shoot me messages with, with like idea for new topics. I've got a list in my phone of like cool topics to have in, but it's, as you know, it's kind of cool when people reach out and be like, Hey, I listen to your podcast. Like, I love this conversation you had with, uh, this dentist about how to do 10, GA cases in one day or, you know, whatever the topic of, of the week was. So it makes you feel, you get the warm and fuzzies when you hear that people actually kind of pick up some nuggets from the conversations you have. It's kind of cool. 
Yeah. Cause it can feel when you first started and even some episodes that you're just talking into a black hole and that there's no one out there listening. So yeah, the, exactly. the affirmation that, uh, when someone says, Oh yeah, I really thought that was funny. It's always the stuff that you, uh, <laughs> that you that you do on accident or that you think is sort of as an aside that people remember in my experience which is it's sort of interesting you mentioned with your podcast mm -hmm. the uh mm -hmm. the financial stuff tends to be the more popular topics that you hit on uh yeah, I, and just in talking with you briefly before we hit record you sort of have an uh, an interest there what i again i guess really high level what how do you think about blending personal finance, business finance with your practice. What are some of your thoughts on that? That's really broad, but, uh, sure. No, I, I got a direction. I guess I could take us with that. Um, so obviously like you, you have to be a bit of a numbers person to, to do a startup, just, you know, you've got to be organized and kind of pay attention to numbers and sort of know what you're looking at. But, um, I, I got more into it when, um, on the personal side, my, so my dad was, um, uh, 56 and, uh, a pathologist, but healthy guy took care of himself. Um, didn't live above his means, invested a lot of money, made good money, invested a lot of it, invested most of it, um, with the goal to kind of retire early in his fifties and, you know, mid fifties and travel and relax. And, um, he ended up getting a really aggressive cancer just out of the blue. And he made it like a year and a half, almost two years. And he passed away uh, last February and he oh, was wow, 58. And, and, it, and it, yeah, and I mean, it's I, my takeaway from all that because the whole process really sucked. Um, but it was like, man, this guy did everything right. He wasn't a smoker. He took care of himself um, and tried to set himself up and, and all that work. And he didn't get to really live to like enjoy a dime of it, basically. So it kind of got me fired up where I'm like, you know, I want to make sure that I play this game right. And not make a bunch of big mistakes, invest early, kind of learn what do I need to do to make my money work for me and amass this army of dollar bills and just be able to retire early if I want to, because the males in my family just don't seem to have longevity on their side. My grandpa died of the same cancer really pretty young as well. So that's kind of what got me motivated to, um, you know, cleaned up, you know, used, we can just keep going on and on about it, but with using the practice as kind of this cash machine, this monster that I've created that I've created that I've got to show up and feed every day using the the profits from that to pay off student loan debt pretty aggressively, get 401k started, just make a lot of smart decisions with leftover money and just kind of keep living at the level that we have been living at um, with the idea being just trying to maximize time in the market with my money so that I can have the option to tailor back on the amount of dentistry I do in my 50s if I want to. So I can travel and do some of the things I want to do in life, um, which there's a lot of outside of fixing teeth all day uh, and take advantage of that since I know that there's a probability that time may or may not be on my side there, I guess. Wow. That's uh, something I didn't know the backstory of. So thank you for sharing that about your father. And again, mm -hmm. my condolences and I, I can see why that would give you some passion about the topic um, sort of shifting from there. How do you, how do you balance that? Because if you're, you said you were profitable right away with your practice and then it's, it's sort of this game of, okay, how much do I take out to live on? And what's the lifestyle that I build around that? Mm -hmm. you know, what kind of houses you live in? What kind of cars you drive? That type of stuff uh, versus, you know, how do you manage debt and the debt, the student loan debt and the practice debt? And then also how do you reinvest back into in the practice to, to grow it in the future? So uh, right. how, how do you think about and balance kind of those, those areas or anything else that I left yeah. out? Uh, so initially I actually was hoping to get some rural student loan forgiveness through the state of Missouri. Iowa has a really good program with that, you know, where you can 
apply for a grant and get some student loan forgiveness if you see Medicaid in a rural area, which I was excited about and had planned on. I could gotten, you know, 50 to $100,000 forgiven, which I had about 150 in student loans. My wife had about another 50. So we had about 200 grand. And I was hoping to get a big chunk of it forgiven. But I found out that in Missouri, you can't apply for it unless you are in a nonprofit or like an FQHC or a CHC. Um, so I did all the paperwork and then got a denial letter because I'm in a private practice, even though I see like 40 to 50% Medicaid. Um, so that was a little bit frustrating. And then I was like, so in that time period, after I kind of doubled down on my, um, on building up the office, still had cash coming in. I'm like, I'm just going to knock these student loans out as fast as I can before I even know that the money's there and gone. So I, I paid off like, uh, like 150 in like four months or three months or something. And just like, I didn't take home. I lived on nothing. We just like skimped by and I just smashed them out and we just kind of cleaned them up in about four months. Um, and that was really nice, but my brain being just crazy as is, and I just can't sit down for two seconds. It's just like, all right, now what can I do? How can I just keep on rolling, keep this, you know, <clears throat> these good habits rolling. So we did that. And then now that I'm finally you know, out of debt, we're profitable. We are, you know, that we're seeing a lot of kids doing a lot of good there. Um, I want to take care of the employees. So we got a 401k going. Um, and I just have been implementing that, which has some of its headaches. And there's, there's some challenges behind that too, administratively that I've been learning, trying to get that set up, but, uh, maxing out 401k and profit sharing, been doing uh, backdoor Roth IRAs. And then, um, past that, I take some extra money and I invest in, um, I've been saving up to kind of diversify and buy. I'd like to own a lot of farmland eventually. I kind of want to retire and be a farmer someday, I feel like. Hmm. So kind of work in that direction. I want to sit out on a tractor and work outside in the sun and heat all day. So that's that's like the long-term game plan. So I put some money aside there and then some money aside for some home expenses to eventually buy a house. Um, and then everything else I try to just buy in cash. It's really, I don't know, it's it's really nothing complicated, but I just try to to knock out my student loan debts, which we're all at five to 6% right away. And then after that, just make sure I've got a really high savings rate to grow net worth, take care of my employees, make sure the office is growing, and then just not buy a bunch of crap I don't need at home um, on that side of things. And that's been about as complex as it's been in the, the first year and a half, I suppose. So a, a relatively new concept for me, there's this idea of financial independence, right? Where what I hear you saying is kind of get to the point that you could make practice optional at some point in the future and try to make that point as soon as possible. Correct. And that's uh, not an unfamiliar concept for me. This new idea that I've been thinking about the last year or two, and, and COVID had something to do with it, is, is to figure out a way to take little mini vacations along the way or little sabbaticals along the way for me, myself, personally, and my business. Is that is that practical in dentistry? I'm, I'm always curious about that. Like, could you take a, a month off throughout the year? Or is that just completely impractical for your practice and maybe the profession in general? Uh, I don't know. You Could you do it? Yeah, but I think it would be a, a bad idea. And I've, ga I've gained a new respect for that. Um, being the sole owner, I like to take hunting trips here and there. Like in the fall, that's kind of my time of year. Like I did a elk hunting trip to Colorado. I went duck hunting in North Dakota, um, took a week off to bow hunt. So I, whenever I take those weeks off, it's hard for me to relax because I'm thinking, man, even though practice is doing well, like there's bills that pile up and there's staff that, you know, they've got to, you know, bills to pay and take care of their families. Um, so it's hard to turn that switch off where you're, you're worrying about the practice. Uh, so my new way of thinking is I'm fired up and I'm 
30, 31 years old, whatever. I'm young. I might as well. We don't have kids yet. Like I'm just going to hammer down and work as much as I can and grow this machine as much as I can in my first five to seven years, 10 years, and just make it really big, keep it really lean and profitable. You know, then the idea being, if I can get an associate eventually, I think it would be a really cool model to maybe instead of a one month sabbatical, I think a perfect way to do it would be work three, five day weeks, and then take a week off or something similar, you know, cause you can take every Friday off and that's great. But I have so many kids that need to be seen on Fridays that's not a super practical option. Parents like the Friday options. Um, mm-hmm. I think instead uh, the eventual goal is make as much, you know, build the machine up as much as you can now get that money invested and in growing and working for you and compounding, get that time in the market, um, you know, and some investments that have just good returns there, you know, and then just grow that, that nest egg and make that work for you as much as you can when you're young, maximize time in the market, and then make the goal eventually be once everything's dialed in, your systems are good and you've got your, your feet set under you get an associate in at a later point in time and then doing dentistry to the amount that it's comfortable, you know, cause I've uh, last tangent, I guess, before I, I quit hogging the mic would be, I, I have a list of things in my phone that I think would be really cool to do outside of dentistry. Like I would love to go work at the Budweiser brewing company in like St. Louis and just like learn how to brew beer there. Or I've always thought it'd be cool to work in like a butcher shop and learn more. I really like kind of processing my own deer and eating like clean wild game meat and stuff. Like, I don't know. I just have a list of things that would be really cool to do. And what's nice about dentistry is the longevity of it's there where, you know, I could go part-time and still make good money and still see a lot of kids and do that from 40, 45 until I'm 60, if I wanted to, and still make really good money, maybe working two days a week and then pursue some of these other things that I'm interested in, whether the outdoors or hunting or brewing beer or whatever the case might be. So that's, that's kind of the long-term plan of how I'm juggling all these different numbers and finances at this point in time. Really interesting. Um, I've got like a lot more questions that I think we could go down the rabbit hole, but we're sort of at 35 minutes already, which in my experience is sort of the max I try to go just sure, for, for yeah. people's interest. So maybe we can circle back and dive into to more of the stuff that we uh, hit on, but didn't go as far down the rabbit holes that as, as we could have with some of the stuff. But yeah, I've just really enjoyed the conversation. And for people that are uh, interested in, in getting in touch with you, what's the best way to, to, to reach out and to make contact and to and to learn, maybe plug your podcast as well as we wrap yeah, up here. Yeah, sure. No problem. Um, I'm a pretty open book compared to um, a lot of dentists and stuff. So if anybody wants to like learn more about the startup or anything like that, you can, you can honestly just text me at 641-425-7279. My email is cgetz, C-G-O-E-T-Z at troypediatricdentist.com, T-R-O-Y pediatric dentist singular.com. Um, and then, uh, if anybody sees kids or is interested in like pediatric dentistry, my podcast is the bruise and tiny teeth, uh, unfiltered pediatric dentistry podcast. It's on Apple, Spotify, and all, all that good stuff. But I stick, stick an episode out there once per week, talking about some of the cool stuff we, we went over. So you can check me out there as well. That is Dr. Casey Getz, pediatric dentist and owner of Quiver Creek pediatric dentistry in Troy, Missouri. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for sharing your perspective and for being a guest on Dentists, Puns, and Money. I appreciate it, Sean. Thanks for having me on. 
Thanks for listening to Dentists, Puns, and Money. For more information about my day job, which is helping dentists plan for their eventual exit from practice to financial independence, you can visit DentistExit.com. And there you can find more information about us, sign up for our email newsletter, learn more about the Elements Financial Planning System, or schedule a discovery call with Sean. And that's me. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. And also please share the podcast with your friends and your colleagues. As for the boring legal stuff, Dentist Exit Planning and Terrell Advisors LLC is a registered investment advisor. The information presented should not be interpreted or construed as investment, legal, tax, financial planning, or wealth management advice. It does not substitute for personalized investment or financial planning from Dentist Exit Planning or Terrell Advisors, LLC. This podcast conveys the views and opinions of Sean Terrell and the information herein should not be considered a solicitation to engage in a particular investment or financial planning strategy. Information presented is for educational purposes only and past performance is not indicative of future results.